Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. If we're doing it with a right heart toward Him, and a right motivation in doing it, not in order to get in His good graces or to to get Him to bless us in some way, but to understand and and to, to show we understand that we're already in His good graces, and that He's already blessed us in so many ways, well, that will be acceptable worship to our Lord. In a message entitled, Blessed and Betrayed, Pastor Sam is taking us through the first 35 verses of Matthew chapter 26. Herein we see one person worshiping and blessing our Lord, and see the beginning of another's betrayal of Him. We will then finish up with Matthew's look at the Last Supper, so let's listen in. If your master passion, if your heart's greatest desire were to show the Lord how much you loved Him, How would you go about it? I suggest to you, though we have some clear instruction, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, we're going to end up saying, well, which ones? They did. And then it's going to be, well, let's look at these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do we break that down then? Well, I believe if we want to demonstrate the depth of our love, the sincerity of our love for our Lord... The best way we can do that is in and through our worship. Now, I don't mean just singing, and here's why. Singing may or may not, for you, be an act of worship. Serving may or may not, and can and sometimes is and sometimes isn't, an act of worship. Giving, it certainly can be and and sometimes is, but isn't always an act of worship. In other words, if we do all things as unto the Lord, if we're singing, if we're serving, if we're giving, whatever we're doing, if we're doing it with a right heart toward Him and a right motivation in doing it, not in order to get in His good graces or to, to get Him to bless us in some way, but to understand and, and to, to show we understand that we're already in His good graces and that He's already blessed us in so many ways. Well, that will be acceptable worship to our Lord. Now, Our chapter, the chapter before us, and we'll only look at a portion of it this morning. It's a lengthy chapter, and that's why. We actually get three pictures of worship in the very beginning of all of this. And before we look at those pictures, let me share just five things with you in the way of foundation. You, I, each and every one of us, we were created to worship. We have built in within us a capacity and a need to worship. And wherever you go in the world, if you travel, you get around, you're going to find people worshiping. Now, they don't all worship the same way. They don't even all worship the same thing. And that sort of brings us to our next point, and that is we choose who or what we worship. Not everyone who knows there is a God and believes in God worships the true and living God. And not all who worship the true and living God worship acceptably. So what's acceptable worship? Well, if we're created to worship and we get to choose who or what we worship, acceptable worship, Jesus says, is worship in spirit and in truth. That means I can't just decide for myself how I'm going to go about worshiping the Lord and think he'll be receiving and and accepting that. To worship in spirit means, first of all, I must be born again of his spirit. Why? Because if any man hath not the spirit of God, he's none of his. It's the spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who leads us in worship, who teaches us, who reminds us, who, well, 
He is the active agent in our worship. He points us to the person and the work of Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. And so in order to worship, we need to worship in spirit and in truth. That means in accordance with the word of God. I need to know what God considers acceptable worship and what God considers unacceptable worship. Fourth thing, worship involves motivations, not mere actions. God is testing my attitude. He's looking not just, hey, okay, I see you're singing. Are you actually singing to me? And it's true as we gather, some of us are just singing. Some of us are just sitting. Some of us who are just sitting, though, may actually be worshiping. Because it isn't about words and melodies. and No, it's about an attitude of heart. So if you're singing, if you're serving... If you're giving and it's acceptable, well, you'll be doing those things as unto the Lord. Well, I said there were five. That's just four. We'll leave it at that and look at our first group of worshipers. It came to pass, we read, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the scribes and elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Our first group of worshipers here, the spiritual elite of Israel in that day. Now listen, they knew the true and living God, but they didn't worship in spirit nor in truth. We know that because Jesus said, though they were going through the motions, doing the right things, outwardly it appeared they were succeeding, they were sincere. Jesus said inwardly, their hearts were far from him. So, here we see men who worshipped, and, and you've got to understand this in order to understand why they're plotting Jesus' death. They worshipped their position, their power, the prestige that came along with those positions of power. They didn't want to take a chance on Jesus upsetting the, the delicate balance they were experiencing with Rome. Rome could come in and crush them at any time. And so Jesus was a serious threat to their position, to their power, to the prestige they had in the eyes of the people. But note, in their ignorance and arrogance, they're plotting to murder, to assassinate, to destroy the Messiah, their Savior, their Lord. They're ignorant because here's God in their very midst. God the Son. And they're arrogant and they think, not only will we kill them, but they've decided how and when and where, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, a couple things as it would relate to those in positions of authority. Positions of visibility and notoriety are no guarantee of maturity or integrity. Positions of visibility or notoriety, they're no guarantee of maturity or integrity. And we see that so clearly here. These guys were well-known, highly respected and regarded, and, and yet here they are, plotting in secret to have our Lord arrested, to have him crucified, and they've decided, well, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar there in verse 5. Now, although God foretells the future, 
Man is still responsible and held accountable for his choices. It's essential that you see that. Because some people try to excuse these guys. Well, they didn't really understand what was going on. And even Judas, who we'll consider in a few moments together. Listen, they rejected the light of the world. And the reason they did it, John tells us, is because they loved darkness more than the light. They loved darkness. Oh, that was our fifth. You worship who and what you love. And what did they love? They loved their lives. And their lives were lived in darkness. And they loved it sacrificially. They loved it, well, until their own deaths. Well, so, so what do we see? God foretelling the future. He knew it would be the cross. He knew it would be at Passover. He, he foretold and prophesied it all. And yet he still holds them responsible and accountable for their participation, for their choices, for their decisions. And I'd suggest to you there's an application for us. Yeah, God can say, this is what's going to happen. And then when it happens, we can say, well, it's not really my fault. We live in an age of victimization. It's a victim mentality. Well, I, yeah, I did it, but I didn't really mean to do it, or I didn't really understand what I was doing. or And whatever the situation might be, we, we want to get past that. No, God knows what's coming, and he's in control of what's coming, so they could say, well, not during the feast, but it would be during the feast. They could say, not with all these people in town. Josephus, a historian of the first century, tells us that over two and a half million people would have been in town for this great feast. So they would have overflowed Jerusalem out into Bethany and all the surrounding cities. And in the midst of all of it, God knew and God prophesied and God promised. And they said, well, we we will control the circumstances, we'll control, control the situations. In their arrogance and ignorance, well, we see all that. Now we see yet another worshiper in stark contrast to these worshipers. Here's someone who worships the Lord in spirit and in truth. She's got the right object of worship. She has the right motivation for worship. She has the right manner of worship. And we'll learn some things about acceptable worship from her. When Jesus was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, we read, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. The first thing we see in Mary's worship, and we know because three of the Gospels give us this account, this is Mary, sister of Martha, sister of Lazarus, whom Jesus would raise from the dead. And here she is at the feet of Jesus, lavishing her love on Jesus. And I want you to see it. Her worship involved sacrifice. It's important because the very first mention of worship in Scripture, way back in Genesis 22, well, it also involved sacrifice. And we begin to get a picture of what acceptable worship really is. Not just singing, not just serving, not just giving, but, but offering the sacrifice, the Scripture says, of praise. Do you know, have you thought it through, that you're only going to breathe so many breaths. You're only going to inhale so many times and exhale so many times. You're only going to utter so many words. You're only going to sing so many melodies. And when you choose to worship the Lord in singing with your voice, with your breath, listen, he considers that, at, that a sacrifice of praise. Why? He knows those breaths aren't coming back. That, that, that's a one-time offering and, and you're choosing to worship him acceptably and, 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 uh, and visibly, tangibly. Now, now get this. 
Back in Genesis 22, Abraham, who had waited and prayed and desired a son, well, he's given a child by the one promised to him, by our Lord, and and that child is... Well, born miraculously, Abraham was 100 and his wife was 90. You don't hear a lot about those kind of things today. And with all we can do, that would be fairly unusual even in our generation. But this child, born miraculously, promised prophetically, at some point, the Lord requires him of Abraham. And he says, take your son Isaac, whom you love, your only son Isaac. Other ramifications of that. You'd have to go back and read through it. We don't have time to go through it, but here's the deal. Take the son you love and go to a mountain on which I'll show you and you sacrifice your son on that mountain. Now, it was a three-day journey and a prophetic picture, a wonderful picture develops as you see the parallels between what Abraham went through with Isaac and what our Heavenly Father has gone through with, well, our Lord and Savior Jesus. A three-day journey during which we're told Isaac was as good as dead to Abraham. Why? He fully intended to offer him up. Now, you don't want to be confused by the little Sunday school pictures and books and stuff. They always paint a picture of him as being relatively young, perhaps a teenager, which for some you think, well, I can almost understand his willingness, but but that isn't what was going on. Not at all. You know, what was happening in the situation? It's more likely Isaac was around 30 years old. And by the way, if you're 120 and your kid's 20, or you're 130 and your kid's 30, he could probably take you if he wants to. And so, I mean, it's been a long time since I knew I could take my boys down. And ever since they knew they could take me, I've said, I just, hey, be gentle, you know, I'm getting old. <laughs> but it's important to the story, and here's why. Isaac voluntarily ascended that mountain with his father. He bore the wood upon his back. It's a part of the picture. Three-day journey. The wood upon his back. He ascends the mountain with his father. Now get this. His father, right before they ascend the mountain, he says to the servants, we're going up yonder to worship. Tells us that Abraham was from southern Ur originally. But he says, we're going yonder to worship. First mention of the word. That's how we got there. And then he says, and we will come back to you. Is that amazing? What was he going to do up there? He fully intended to sacrifice his son. And yet, because he knew the promise of God, he knew that it was through Isaac his seed would be called, that Messiah would come, that the nations would be blessed. He just figured, and this isn't my opinion, this is scripture. He just knew God would have to resurrect his son. If God required his son, he would resurrect his son. So we get this wonderful picture of what would actually happen in our Lord and Savior's life. You see, a a three-day journey from, well, the cross into the grave and, and then till the resurrection. Isaac bears the wood upon his back even as our Lord bore his cross out to the very same mountain range where Isaac was to be offered by Abraham. There on Golgotha, our Lord laid down his life. God stays Abraham's hand, and the story is there for this reason, and there may be others, but I'm certain of this. The story is there because God wants us to see how far he can take a man who wavers in his younger years, and I use that term in sort of a, well, you know, younger for him years, well, Abraham, yeah, when he was young and, and younger, he, he was afraid that when they traveled down into Egypt and other areas that because his wife was beautiful, they'd take his wife, they'd kill him. And so he got his wife to lie saying she was his sister. What a horrific 
lie. What, what a failure on Abraham's part. And here's the father of the faith saying, hey, I'm kind of scared. Would you mind going along with me in this? And, but here we see him years later. And God says, I want your son. And I want you to sacrifice him. Not just give him up. I want you to, to, to lay him down. I want you to take his life. And Abraham says, okay, Lord, whatever you require of me. That's how much... Abraham had grown in the Lord, and that's what the Lord is doing in us. He's bringing us to the place where there is nothing we would withhold from him. That's acceptable worship, whatever he's desiring or requiring at the moment. Lord, I'm yours. My assets, my everything, my breath, my singing, my serving, my giving, it's yours. I lay it at your feet. Well, we go back to our passage then, and we see that sacrifice, well, that is the essence of worship. And I want you to note that her worship was a sacrifice. This alabaster flask, very costly fragrant oil, we know from our other gospel accounts, it was about a year's wages worth of fragrant oil. A year's wages. Now listen, not only is that a costly gift to lavish on the Lord, how long would it take you to save a year's wages? But it's possible, even probable, that this was well her dowry, that, that this was given to her and it would have been sold by her or kept by her in order to provide and make it possible for her to be married. She is lavishing that which is so expensive and, and so precious to her. Well, and she's just lavishing it on the Lord. Now, not only, not only, does real worship involve sacrifice financially? It often requires sacrifice socially. And if you are a real worshiper of the Lord, those who don't know the Lord, those around you in the world, well, they're going to mock your worship. They're going to ridicule you and make fun of you and persecute you even possibly because you're a real worshiper of God. But I want to tell you, it can be worse than that. And here's why. See, see, Mary isn't being ridiculed by the world outside. She's not even being ridiculed by her peers. Not here, no. Mary's being ridiculed by her mentors. Those who were the apostles, those who would be the foundation of the church. And they're looking, and you've got to know, it's Judas who first speaks up, though this gospel doesn't tell us so. When the disciples saw it, verse 8, they were indignant, saying, to what purpose is this waste? Listen, nothing you lavish upon the Lord, no act of sacrifice, worship unto the Lord, can ever be a waste. But they're saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much, and given to the poor. Well, that's true. She could have sold it and given the money to the poor. But listen, that's not why Judas said it. You see, Judas isn't a real worshiper of Jesus. You have to know. Jesus chose 12, but only 11 chose him back. Jesus loved 12, but only 11 re returned his love Judas never did. And here's what John 12, 6 says. Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. You see, the religious leaders, they worshipped their position, their power that the people coming around and adoring them and respecting and honoring them. Mary, she didn't care about any of that. She just cared about the Lord. In fact, get this. Every time you see her in Scripture, she is at the feet of the Lord. 
And I love that. At the very first time we find her, her sister's baking up or cooking up a great feast for the Lord and she's just serving away and Mary's just sitting there and Martha's getting hot. She's complaining. She's criticizing. She's comparing. And she's like, Lord, tell her to get with it. I'm doing all the work. And she's just sitting there. How does our Lord respond to such an accusation from one who claims to be worshiping him with their service? He says, listen, you're worried and distracted about so many things, but Mary has chosen the better part and I won't take it from her. How oh, I love that. Our Lord is saying, this is more important to me, more acceptable to me than your worship. Now, don't misunderstand this. Her service could have been acceptable worship to the Lord. What, what made it not so? Well, it's easy. Instead of just serving as unto the Lord, she was comparing herself with her sister. She was criticizing her sister. She was complaining about her sister's lack of getting with the program. And be careful. Here's why. As you grow in the Lord and opportunities open up for you to serve the Lord, it's very easy to move from that place where you're just so blown away that, wow, the Lord's gifted me and he's called me and he's using me and, Lord, thank you, to, where's everybody else? Why am I the only one who has this passion, who shares this vision? Why am I the only... Listen, you're not. Lots of people are serving the Lord and they're serving the Lord in the way God's leading them to serve. I've watched it happen. People get involved in youth ministry and pretty soon, what's wrong with everybody? Don't they care about the youth? People get involved in missions. What's wrong with everybody? Don't they care about the lost? Of course we do. But we're not all called to youth ministry. We're not all called to the mission field. But we are all called to serve our Lord and to serve one another. And if I'm serving and I'm serving acceptably, God receives that as an act of worship. But if I'm comparing, if I'm complaining, if I'm criticizing, or you're doing those things, listen, you need to stop. Not stop serving. I know some of you are thinking, hey, that's the solution. I'm complaining, I'm comparing, I'm criticizing, I should just stop serving. No, you should stop complaining. You should repent. You should say, Lord, forgive me. You've given me opportunity and I seized it with such joy. And now, Lord, I'm so ashamed. I, I don't know how I went from so grateful to so ungrateful, from so useful to so, well, Lord, change me, change my heart, change my mind, deal with me. That's the prayer we should be offering to the Lord today. Well, Mary worshiped acceptably. She offered a sacrifice that cost her financially, that cost her socially, as these disciples, really egged on by Judas, begin to say, yeah, what a waste, what a waste. Note what the Lord has to say about that. Jesus, when he was aware of it, said, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Note this. Mary's worship and sacrifice is received and approved by our Lord. He protects her when people begin to attack her. She doesn't have to stand up for herself and neither do you. If your parents or your children or your brothers or your sisters or those who know you or work alongside of you or go to school with you, if they mock what you do, your giving, your serving, your sacrifice unto the Lord, let the Lord deal with that. 
Don't get into it with them. Why? It's really something they can't understand in the first place. You're doing it because you know how good he is and how good he's been. And you just want to say, Lord, I love you with my life. The Bible calls Abraham's willingness to obey God's request to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, an act of worship. And I have seen that some are stumbled by this. But we really need to look closer at the event as there are a few things about it that can help us understand worship just a little bit better. Abraham was willing to pay a cost, and a dear one at that, all to be obedient to the Lord that he loved. Abraham was also trusting that he would see Isaac again, that God would do the right thing, and that Isaac would be resurrected. He trusted God, and this was an act of that trust. So does this mean that worship needs always to be a sacrifice? No, but it does mean that when we sacrifice for the Lord's behalf and place our faith in God to do what we cannot do, it almost always is going to be an acceptable act of worship. That's just something for you to think about. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you, and until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.